1: Hello, everyone. I'm George Roscoe. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode 5-0 of Say What?, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the rise and fall of American education.
2: That's right, George. You know, America was once known for producing the most enlightened and educated minds on the planet. But today, when people think of American education... They think of mediocre academics and ideological indoctrination. We see it all over the country. I mean, even if you look at literacy rates, back in the 1800s, American literacy rates were like 98%. You know what they are today in the United States?
1: 99.8% because we're like way far ahead of our farmers' ancestors.
2: You would think, but it's actually in the mid-70s percentiles Say one California is like at the bottom of the list. So the question is what happened? What happened to this country? What happened to our education?
1: Mark, let me guess. We went from being enlightened to being woke. But that that is a good thing. That is a good thing because that's like the next step
2: in the evolution of man. Uh, you, they would have you think that anyway. Well, George, I thought that it would be good to sort of explore um, the history of um, American education, where we came from, um, the roots of uh, what was responsible for the greatest educational system in the world, and what's happened in the last really – You know, not just decades, but in the last hundred years. It's kind of an interesting journey. Uh, And to start off with, you know, in every generation, the church is called to preserve righteousness and proclaim truth. In other words, to be salt and light. This Mm -hmm. is taken directly out of Matthew 13. Salt is a preservative. It acts to keep the best of what's in society, to maintain justice and righteousness. Light dispels darkness, darkness. Mm-hmm. and that is the role of the church and going back to america's founding um they understood this very well and they acted out that role and the church has a responsibility further to develop in their children uh, a number of things a love for god reverence for his truth, obedience to his commandments, and to put him first in everything. In fact, God commands his people to dil- diligently teach these precepts to the coming generation. That's taken directly um, out of Deuteronomy 6. And until the mid-19th century in this country, we succeeded in doing that and doing those things. Um, in fact if you go back to all the way back to 1620 now that was when um, the puritans first came to the massachusetts bay colony and all the way up to around the mid 1800s if you looked at the purpose and order of emphasis for education in the united states first and foremost it was to educate children according to the biblical worldview mm-hmm, yep. in fact The textbook was mainly the Bible itself. And why was that? Well, the purpose was because we recognized back then that first and foremost, education means developing character in our citizenry, starting at the very earliest ages, to teach virtue in our children. In fact, John Quincy Adams said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's not fit for any other. And, of course, that was written in uh, the late 1700s. And, you know, a couple of hundred years before that, that's exactly what people were doing. They were educating their children to believe in the Judeo-Christian worldview and to have a classical education. Children studied Latin and Greek and the classics. You know, Shakespeare came along a little later. But the best in Western society. And finally, George... To teach proficiency in reading, writing, and math skills—the practical skills—so mm-hmm. that people could flourish in, uh, you know, in a practical society. But the main emphasis was on teaching virtue and character. And the primary authority for education was not a school institution, not government officials, but it was parents. And the textbooks they used, along with the scriptures, were books like the New England Primer, the Blueback Speller, and the famous McGuffey Reader, which has sold over 120 million copies. In fact, it's still used among homeschoolers today.
1: Mark, you know, it's interesting. I went last year down to San Diego, and there is Point Loma, where there's a like a, a lighthouse yeah. out there.
2: Beautiful promontory.
1: Yeah, and the old lighthouse with the old house you know in there where the person managing the lighthouse lived and you can just go in and see the like two rooms that were in this house Mm. and so they they decorated with what was the original stuff that this person probably had in there yeah and one of it was the mcguffey reader the book on there
2: isn't that amazing
1: and i took a picture of it i have it on my phone uh i took a picture of it because you've mentioned this history to me before and i'm glad that we're letting parents know about this history because i had no clue Uh, and i'm like wow that book (laughs) was in point loma
2: california in the late 1800s it it really does exist you can still order it on amazon today uh, and get it But unfortunately, George, um, you know, really in the mid-1800s, mid-19th century, things started to change. So whereas before, parents had the primary responsibility to educate their children, starting in the mid-19th century, government now took on that main responsibility, but with parental influence. So government was still working closely with parents to educate children. But from around 1970 on, government actually has become resistant to parental influence. They want parents out of the education game. And we saw that recently in Virginia, didn't we? When yeah. Terry McAuliffe, who is running for uh, the governorship, he made his famous statement when parents found out their kids were learning about CRT. He said, oh, you know, parents shouldn't have any input in, in education. Uh, that's that's really the government business. And it cost him to lose the election. Um, and the emphasis of education has changed, too. It's no longer about character and virtue development. It hasn't been that for many, many decades now. In the n- mid-1950s, it used to be – there was a shift. It went from teaching virtue, and and uh, and then teaching proficiency in in the practical skills. Now in the in 1950s, now teaching the practical skills became the main emphasis, and to teach a certain worldview. It wasn't the Judeo-Christian worldview. It was now a secular worldview, and that term "secular" means of this age. Mm-hmm. It's modernity. We create our own values. Morals are subjective. And this became the philosophy of public schools. And now it has devolved even further. Now the emphasis is to teach a arguably pagan or woke worldview that term has become popular and only secondarily to teach proficiency in the practical schools so that's why our academic rating has fallen so far Uh, when you don't when you fail to teach character and virtue everything else collapses in fact the united states today george spends more per student than virtually every developed nation on earth and yet our academic performance, according to research organizations like the Pew Foundation, puts our performance in the middle to bottom rungs compared to other nations, Say which been, what? which been far less than us. So we've talked about this a little bit before in, in the past. But just to, to emphasize the fact that there was a time in American history when all education was private. And God's people were the principal actors in education. America's elite colleges like Harvard, Yale, and Princeton were all founded as Christian seminaries. In fact, before 1850, virtually all education in America was private. There were no public schools prior to around 1820. But that was all about to change, mainly because of the influence of two personalities. The first one being a guy named uh, Horace Mann. Horace Mann uh, was a a legislature in the state of Massachusetts, and um, he was very involved in education. And he came up with this idea for what he called the normal school. And he became Massachusetts' first secretary of education. Later, he would go on to have that same title at a federal level. But the normal school had two objectives. One was to establish uniformity in education, and then to bring it under state control. In fact, secular activists like the Owenites promoted the normal school to begin compulsory education education nationwide even there was an ex-member of the owenites his name was uh, arrestus bronson who revealed in his uh, autobiography this group's two aims and this is what he wrote quote the great object was to get rid of christianity and to convert our churches into halls of science uh, the plan was not to make open attacks on religion, but to establish a system of state, we said, quote, national schools, to which parents were to be compelled by law to send their children. The first thing to be done was to get this system of schools established.
1: Say what? This is crazy, absolutely crazy to see how uh, well thought out, how strategic uh, these people have been um, in getting a
2: plan put together
1: and then working that plan according to the values of their own
2: worldview. That's right. And it gets worse, George, because the next big personality that came on the scene in education was John Dewey, um, widely acknowledged to be the father of progressive education. Uh, He was a humanist and the founder of what's called functional psychology. In fact, Dewey was a signer of the first humanist manifesto in 1933. Dewey was also instrumental in founding the infamous National Education Association. Say what? And all but single-handedly established the doctrines that that organization adheres to today. In fact, he wrote... Um, very famously, it's the business of those who do not believe that religion is a monopoly or a protected industry to contend in the interest of both education and religion for keeping the schools free from what they must regard as a false bias. Mm. That was in the eight, in the 1950s. And since then, we've seen the result of this worldview in action, starting uh, in earnest in the 1960s. There was the famous case in 1962 of Engel versus Vitale, uh, where the Supreme Court ruled unconstitutional all forms of classroom prayer. One year later, George, the court ruled in Abington School District versus Shemp that even literal reading of the Bible in schools was now const- unconstitutional. Alan Bloom, uh, by the 1987, observed in his famous book, The Closing of the American Mind, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Every student entering the university believes or says he believes the truth is relative. And Bloom goes on to make the argument that – and he was a University of Chicago professor – that by the time they end this four year university experience, they are convinced the truth is relative.
1: Yeah. You know, Mark, this is a progression of worldview in the Western world of secularism, and you could see how it's made its way, um, for a long time. You know, Frederick Nietzsche, who's one of their most beloved uh, I just call him a, a prophet <laughs> on on behalf of atheists because he famously wrote this uh, parable of the madman. Yes, uh, in the, at the end of the 1800s, and he basically he um, he's looking at the reality of living in the world where God is dead, and he asks himself a, lo- a lot of rhetorical question. This madman does, um, you know, is. Do we have to light lanterns in the morning hour? Uh, he said, who is going to wipe away the sunset? Uh, what is left or right? What is up or down? Are we revolving around the sun or is the sun revolving around us? A lot of interesting rhetorical questions. But what he was coming to was, how do we live? How do we reorder our society and our way of life with the notion that God does not exist? And later on in the 1900s, uh, Will Durant posed this very famous question, and he says, um, you know, our age is not an age of is it, you know, the East versus the West? Is it communism versus capitalism? But it's answering the fundamental question, can man live without God? And when we look at all of the stuff that this leads to, it really comes down to the question Can man live without God? Can we even order ourselves as humanity without the notion of God?
2: G.K. Chesterton, the famous British philosopher, famously said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything, everything. And isn't that what wokeism teaches? So when Alan Bloom made his famous uh, remark uh, back in 1987 – um people did not believe that you could make up your own gender that you could decide for yourself what gender you were going to be that you could decide for yourself what pronouns that you were going to take on not only you personally yeah but now society has reached such a uh, a dysfunctional level that we are forcing other people to recognize your subjective beliefs. This is a formula for disaster, George. And uh, you know, starting uh, twenty years ago in California, it's sort of interesting to see the progression of laws that have taken place uh, that recognizes this madness that we have latched onto now in society. George, just just to cite a few of these. Uh, way back in 1999 under Gray Davis, Assembly Bill 5537, all of a sudden permitted teachers and students to openly proclaim and display their, their LGBT status. You know, we think all this is kind of new, but it's been going on for a while. Wow. And it's not just Democratic uh, uh, governors. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was a Republican or at least he ran on that platform, in 2004 changed the Title V in the Education Code to redefine gender to one's perceived identity, appearance, or behavior, whether or not that identity, behavior, or appearance is different from that traditionally associated with a person's sex at birth. That was 2004.
1: Say what? Mark, and, this one for me. It's very close to home because 2004 is the year after I graduated from high school. And I ask myself, like, what in the world were we doing? Like, how did we not know? How did the churches in California not know? Like, I know that in 2008 there was the big, you know, marriage bill and amendment in California that actually passed, but we didn't know, and in fact, you were the first one to bring this to my attention a couple of years ago. Um, how come we have not been paying attention to this?
2: It, it all happened very quiet. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of noise about this. You know, uh, the press obviously had an interest in not publicizing this because society had already changed dramatically. And Georgia only got worse from there. Three years later in 2007, Senate Bill 777 was passed, where now it was required for teachers to teach that gender is a matter of choice. Mm-hmm. In fact, to teach otherwise was prohibited discrimination. Wow. In uh, 2010, three years later, again, still under uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, a law was passed, SB 543, where school staff can remove children ages 12 and up from schools and take them off campus for pro homosexual counseling session without parental permission or involvement.
1: I, I want to say, say what after each of each of these? These are ludicrous.
2: And and it led to further uh, even worse and, and more draconian uh, infringements on parental rights and the well-being of our children. The famous bill, Senate Bill Forty-Eight, this was uh, signed by Jerry Brown in two thousand eleven, called the Fair Education Act, that mandated children from kindergarten through twelfth grade and in all instruction in social sciences had to be taught to admire the role and contributions of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Americans based purely on their sexual proclivities. Wow. Two years later, 2013, Assembly Bill 1266 was passed, the famous bathroom bill that opened up restrooms, locker rooms, showers to children who identified with the opposite sex. Mostly young men who identified as young women now had access to girls' bathrooms. That's still the law. That was in 2013. And then, George, as you know, it it just continues to degrade. The famous uh, AB 329, the California Unhealthy Youth Act uh, in 2015, uh which was the genesis for the creation of protect our kids yeah. you know we decided we've, we've we've got to do something about this to warn parents about what was being taught in the public schools this law required that comprehensive sex ed uh be taught in middle school and high school and it was discretionary in um in elementary school where kids could learn in kindergarten that you don't have to be the gender that you were born in you can be anything you want and by the way while you're thinking about your gender you should think about exploring your sexual appetites and you don't have to wait till puberty let's start getting into it you know prepubescent. that's what kids are being taught in our public schools today
1: because all that matters is a famous word called consent Con- that's it consent is the ultimate virtue these days
2: that's right, and this sort of culminates, George, in 2021. This was last year, uh, Assembly Bill 101, that now requires that, quote, ethnic studies, otherwise known as critical race theory, uh, be taught to high schoolers in order to graduate from high school.
1: So, Mark, what, what can we do as parents to push back against this craziness and this very hard fall from where we used to be
2: well first and foremost your vote counts and we've seen the good results of that um in two jurisdictions here recently we've talked a lot george about the virginia earthquake mm-hmm. where parents you know they finally became aware of what was happening in the public schools and they took action by a storming school board meetings And electing a new governor that said, I'm going to do something about this. Well, the same thing happened recently in San Francisco with three school board members.
1: That can't be, Mark. San Francisco, Uh, no, no. How how in the world? This is like liberal, progressive, the most woke city in the world.
2: Incredibly, George. (laughs) Even in San Francisco, parents said, enough, enough. Is enough when they started changing the names of high schools away from George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, even Senator Diane D- Feinstein School was going to be renamed to some woke, uh, yeah. you know, gender-neutral tag. Along with the entire woke agenda, parents said enough is enough, and they recalled three board members by a seventy percent margin say what this is particularly encouraging so the message parents is don't hide under a bushel let your light shine your identity is to be salt and light start acting out become an activist on the on behalf of your children vote your conscience get involved
1: Parents, we invite you to go to our website at www.protectourkids.org, protectourkidsnow.org, and you can get a lot more information. All of our podcast episodes are there. You'll see a lot of videos, brochures that you can download. If you just spend, you know, an, an hour a night for a week on our website, um, I guarantee you will be brought up to speed very quickly on what is going on and the next steps that you can take in helping protect not just our kids, but all kids. Thank you very much for listening, parents. See you
2: next time.